You're listening to the Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rappaport. On today's show, have you ever thrown a dinner party and wondered, like, how much is that dinner party going to cost? How much am I spending on all that food and wine and ice and stuff like that? And you realize, wow, I'm spending a lot of money. But you know who doesn't spend a lot of money? Emil Stonic, associate editor here at Bon Appetit, uh, who is the author of a new online column about how to throw a dinner party for 10 for under $50. Can you imagine that? 10 people, $50 or less. Well, Emil does that. Um, And he cooks regularly with a budget in mind at his apartment out in Brooklyn. And I talked to him about how he cooks smartly, how he shops smartly for his ingredients, and for whether you're cooking just for yourself or for a bunch of friends or just your spouse, can eat well without spending a lot of money. And then I sit down with our wine writer, Marissa A. Ross, um, to chat about how to buy affordable wine. She's got some great tips and advice that you can take with you to the grocery store to make sure you leave with a decent bottle every time. But first, here is Emil Stonic. Emil, welcome to the show. It's good to be here. We're talking today about uh, sort of shopping and cooking affordably, but in terms of like arbiters of people's decision making. Um, when, as food fans, if you're looking at a magazine or website like Bon Appetit, when you see a recipe, your decision making process is not based on price. It's based on, wow, that recipe's got like 19 ingredients and it's four columns long. Yeah, I'm not making that tonight. Right. But in real life, you go to the store and you're like, oh, wow, that strip steak is $32 a pound. Let's make something else. Right. And and I'm curious to see how you sort of fuse those two worlds and how you sort of some strategy for sort of cooking and shopping affordably and also some specifics about what are you actually buying. If you're not buying that strip steak, then what are you buying? You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think it's interesting because it just in my experience, like talking to friends, when they cook from recipes, it ends up being very expensive in a certain way or more expensive than it would be if they were just kind of, you know, cooking what felt came naturally to them. You know, if you look at that recipe that has the 19 ingredients and you're like, I have to use every single one of these ingredients and it's very important. And especially if you don't know why those ingredients are there or what they do. What they add. Like, so I have to go out and buy a bottle of sumac because I don't have that in my in my cupboard. Exactly. And I'm going to use one pinch. And then you're like, do you even really need that pinch or can you get away without it? Exactly. And it's, I mean, I think it is a kind of a bet. You're like, oh, this spice rubbed pork loin or whatever. There are like 10 spices here. If you were, to, if you didn't have any of those spices and you went and bought 10 spices, yeah, you're going to spend like $60. And you know what? All you really need is salt. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. So I feel like it is like, you know, part, salt and pork are good together. That's true. That's true. They do taste good. Um, I think a lot of it is kind of looking at recipes and trying to, you know, really think about them and what's important, what you need. So the, so the first step is looking at a recipe and being sort of economical about the recipe itself. And, and oh. I often, as you know, here at Bon Appetit, we have some. In intra intra office bickering about I'm like Carla Carla our our, our awesome food director I'm Love like you, Carla Carla do we really need three types of dried chilies in this recipe if I just use one type of dried chili along with all the other wouldn't it be just pretty much almost as good I mean I think in our in the best iterations of that we're able to say like this three chili version is delicious and is more complex and is different and is authentic to this restaurant or this recipe. But if you can only find guajillos and you can't find pasilla also and or chile you know, arbol, right, then you're going to be fine. You're going to get a different result. And I think that's part of the thing is like just being 
as a cook, being open to the fact that, yeah, what you're going to make is might be different from the recipe, and that doesn't mean it's going to suck. Yeah. As yeah. long as you do some of the key steps, if you've got that pork shoulder and enough salt and you braise it nice and slow, it's still going to be fall apart delicious. Right. All right. Let's talk about you. So you cook a lot. Um, Accurate. You now live with your girlfriend, Lauren, but let's wind back six months a year. You you were living with the, four roommates? Yeah, we had – well, the between – there were five of us all together. Okay. Including Lauren and myself. So it's like a reality TV show. You're living somewhere in Brooklyn, um, and you would cook a lot for the whole gang. So talk about how you decide what to make, how you would shop, because, um, like I said, you're not making a million dollars a year. That's um, accurate. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you're shopping on a budget, and you're shopping for a group. So, so talk about – give me your average week. Yeah. Both when I lived with a lot of roommates and now, I'm not – a grocery shopping person. Like I, you know, I'm not that person who goes out on Sunday and gets all my groceries for the week and plans it out. And, and also I feel like that generates a lot of waste. You know, it's like, I don't know exactly when I'm going to be able to cook or what I'm going to be able to cook. So, but I, I do like to cook every Sunday and kind of have a kind of ritual and practice around that. And to make a meal that is kind of bigger and ha- maybe more involved than I would on like a Wednesday and also to make those things in a quantity such that I would have leftovers for the week. And also in buying all of those things to make one big meal, you've also got like now you've got some parm and you've got like a half a wedge of parm mm-hmm. left. You've got like a half a head of cabbage that you didn't use. So that's kind of like my way of kind of forcing myself to stock the fridge. Yeah, what I, what I like about that, and I've done that sometimes, when you ha- when you know you have that quart of, of really – savory, salty, delicious beans, white beans, slowly cooked beans in the fridge. You're like, oh, so maybe I'll just pick up a couple of lamb shoulder chops at the store on my way home, and I know all I got to do is sear those up, and I still know I have some beans, and I've got a half a head of cabbage. I can shred that up and make some sort of slaw, and like, boom, there's dinner. Right, exactly. And it's like, for me, I need to – it's hard to kind of create dinner out of thin air, but once you've got a few building blocks, and then, like you said, you know, you know, I do like to shop, after work, kind of plan my route home based on what grocery store I want to hit up. When you were shopping for your group and, and there's five of you in the house, like when you walked into the store, would you set yourself a limit? Like I've got 60 bucks. That's what, that's what, that's what dinner's going to cost tonight. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I feel like when I think about that big Sunday meal, that is often a time where I would just, you know, I mean, not let myself go, but just kind of like be free to just get whatever I wanted within reason. And then on those nights where I was going to come home and just make dinner for, you know, just Lauren and I or maybe even just myself or for a couple of other people, then I would set the limit. Then I'd be like, all right, I'm I'm spending $10. I'm just getting a head of cabbage and sriracha. That's all I need. Or like a dozen eggs and some rice, you know, whatever that is to turn what I've already got into a meal. And that way also, you know, I don't know, it's like I like thinking about dinner. So like if I wake up, and I'm eating breakfast and look in the fridge. I'm like, got that, that, that. Then I can spend the day kind of, I mean, I also have the privilege of thinking about food all day long. <laughs> it is your job. Um, and so, yeah, then I can, that's kind of the source of inspiration. And I can kind of like, that's a puzzle that I can work on all day. Okay, so let's talk specifics. All right, so, and is it fair to say that cooking for five people is more economical than cooking for two? Um, yeah, I think in a lot of ways it is. I mean, it, it depends on what you're trying to do, but- I don't know, for me at least, cooking in quantity, it's harder to cook a half a pound of beans than it is to cook a whole pound of beans. You know, it's harder to cook like a half a cup of rice than it is to cook two cups of rice. All right, so so you're cooking for five. Um, Let's talk about what are some of those staples you depend on? What are some cuts of meat that you depend on? How do you 
craft a dinner um, that makes sense for five people, none of whom work in a hedge fund? Well, you know, I mean, cooking for a crowd, maybe I want to do lamb or something like that. All right, and what kind of lamb? Because if I'm you gonna, get lamb chops, they're $27 totally. a pound. And then I am going to probably get shoulder meat, which is cheaper, whether you're getting shoulder chops. But honestly, like if I was cooking for that group, I would go for something brazy that's going to be able to stretch that protein more effectively and you've got the kind of savory brazy juices and that's going to go on top of something. I feel like we've talked about this on a podcast we have, before. We have, but, <laughs> but it makes sense. But you, but you, you buy one big hunk of meat yeah. that's going to create a lot of sauce. And, so the sauce is built in there. Right. Or maybe I'd get ground lamb and make mm. meatballs yeah. or something like that. Or yeah, that, just something so that it doesn't feel like you're looking at this little sliced piece of meat in the middle of the table, and everybody's kind of like, "How many pieces can I take?" I don't well, know. that's oh, that, that's a big thing. I mean, like, and I, I think that's when like my wife and I cook at home, and I'm not very frugal. Um, I will go to the fancy eatery across the street. And I'm like, "Well, there's just two of us. I'm gonna get that one of those thirty dollar pound dry aged strip steaks and pan roast it and 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 slice it up, and it's enough for two of us. But if I if I for five people, that all of a sudden becomes a much different math problem. Oh, totally. I mean, ju- you know, and that's that's the thing is if Lauren and I are just cooking for ourselves, that is the time where, you know, like just the other day uh, for International Women's Day. Oh, yeah. I made Lauren dinner, went Very to Italy. Nice. And, you know, I got a rib, like a one pound ribeye steak. And that is, that fed the two of us, probably could have fed another person realistically, but you know, we had some leftovers that we brought for lunch. But I'm not going to get three pounds of the $30 a pound yeah. ribeye to serve Ooh, I have five a, people. I have, I have a saying, splurge for two, save for five. Do you like that? Is that, did you just make that I up? I just made that up. Wow, that's yeah. good. No, but that, that, that makes like the, sense, you know. It's like the name of a, a cookbook. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think also realistically, um, you don't want to feel bitter when you're cooking for a group of people. You don't want to be like, oh, I got this, I got this big ribeye yeah. steak. I'm going to get two slices. I yeah. bought the whole thing. No, like, I'd be pissed off. No, you, you want to be able to feel, you don't, you don't want to set yourself up to feel bitter or like you haven't gotten your fair share of something like that. So yeah, you want to be able to make the meatballs and eat as much as you want and have your roommates eat as much as they want. Yeah. And you know what doesn't leftovers. cost a lot? A box of pasta. No, it's true. I mean, some it's of that really fancy stuff at Italy across the street, that might cost a lot, but your sure. basic of, box of barilla pasta, um, not much. Um, and you put that braised lamb with all the juice and you shred it and you Mix it up. Oh, sounds good to me. Oh, Parmesan. Oh, fresh, oh I'm no, you're cooking some weekend. fresh mint, maybe. All right, but you know what does get expensive? All right, so we know that the 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 fancy dry aged uh, ribeye, the bone in lamb rib chops, the Berkshire pork um, can run you some money. Um, but you know what also costs a lot? Vegetables, mm. good vegetables. It's true. Um, true. So let's talk about that because you know when do you spurge on vegetables? When don't you? I mean, I think to me it's like I want to. I want to sp- I mean in all things I want to spend money where it counts. And so when it comes to vegetables, I think sometimes, you know, we've all, you know, it's, it's like buy organic, buy organic has been kind of like drilled into our heads in a certain way. So, you know, I will go to the farmers market. I will spend much money on like the fancy, really beautiful, really green, really flavorful celery with all those leaves mm. that I know I can use in something else in a salsa verde, whatever. If I'm going to the store, I at the grocery store, the conventional celery and like the kind of giant organic brand, I, I don't think that there's such a difference that it it matters. Like in this, yeah, in, in the summertime, I will spend money on those heirloom tomatoes at the farmers market because they're going to blow your mind. Right, how flavorful! Anything at the grocery store 
is going to be whatever. Right. You know, unless you have a grocery store that does stock kind of good local produce, you're getting stuff that's still sat on a truck and, you know, wasn't picked at the peak of ripeness yep. and, you know, it's it's damaged goods. Well, it's also what you're what are you doing with those vegetables? Because if you're if you're using those veg to chop up for a mirepoix for that braise, totally. it doesn't really matter. If you're gonna slice those tomatoes and just put some olive oil and sea salt on them and serve them just like that, well then that really does matter the well, quality. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I, I do think that kind of the almost the more the the higher quality of product you buy, the less you have to do with it. And the more you're going to just take, you, you don't kind of want to cover it up. So that is kind of a nice thing. If you are buying a really fancy piece of meat or a fancy, you know, head of lettuce that's really flavorful, you might think differently about how you're going to serve that or dress it because you actually want to taste the thing. And I don't think any of these things are hard and fast. I think it really depends on a number of factors. It's like, did I already just spend a lot of money on something else? Like proximity to payday, like all of these things are factors that will change how I'm buying stuff. But, you know, if I was making a celery salad, maybe I would think twice about what kind of celery I was using and whether it would be more delicious or not. Like if you're tasting it just as celery, you know. You use the freezer. I love the freezer. Talk to me about the freezer because I, I, I feel like I have yet to figure out the freezer. Well, like I said, I'm not that good at grocery shopping. I'm not good at going and just buying a ton of stuff for the week and being stocked. But I do like to kind of passively grocery shop. So like mm. if I go to a store, if I'm, you know, if I'm if I'm going to pick up meat at the butcher, you know, I've already made that special trip, like maybe I'm going to think about what else I might like to cook and you know, I'm like, "Oh, they have they've got chickens, they look really good, whole chickens and they're on sale. I'm buying steak." I'll just get a chicken and then come home and throw it in the freezer. And Wait, question. Yeah. Uh-huh. But how do you just throw it in the freezer? Like what do you when I have a steak or what do I wrap it up in so it's freezer safe or you know what I mean? I mean, it depends on the thing. You know, with mm -hmm. a chicken, if it's already like, you know, shrink wrapped and oh, okay. thing, I'll just yeah. throw that in. Like a Bell and Evans one that's already. Yeah, in its if thing. I was getting like a a steak or I was or if I bought like a family pack of like chicken thighs or something yeah. and I was only gonna use half of it. Okay. The other half I might throw in a Ziploc bag, kind of flatten it as much as possible. And, and a Ziploc bag naked, or do you wrap in, like, no, saran wrap first? Naked. naked. I think it would be mm. fine. I don't know. I mean, I, I honestly don't know. But what I would do is, yeah, put it in a plastic bag, Ziploc bag, squeeze out as much air as possible, flatten it as mm -hmm. much as possible. I hate it when it, you look in the freezer and there's something that's, like, been basically taking up as much mass as possible, yeah, and yeah. it's going to, like— you know that it's gonna thaw. It's gonna take forever to thaw. It's gonna be annoying. You want it really. I love having flat stacks of yeah, things, like envelopes. Do you do the thing where you take the sharpie and you write the date on it? Yeah, you know, in in my dream world, I do. Um, some I, sometimes more than other times. What I really like to do, and I do this maybe a couple of times a year, is take a freezer inventory mm. and just straight up take everything. You know, I'll bring a cooler up to the freezer, take everything out, look at it. If it seems like it's if I literally have no idea what it is and can't remember where it came from, I'll either thaw it or just throw it out. But that way you kind of have and organize things because things just tend to get kind well, of tossed in the freezer. See, that's my problem. I put stuff in there and then I forget about it. I'm like, oh, but, yeah, I put chicken stock in there seven months ago. But not when you have it. Not when you have a little piece of paper that's just taped up to your fridge oh, wow. or your freezer that says, like, you know— Two frozen fillets of mackerel, smoked mackerel, like, you know, two packages of pork chops, like two things of chicken dashi from some project. Let me ask you a question. Year. Say you have say you have 
couple pork chops in there, mm-hmm. and you and Lauren are like, oh, let's have pork chops tonight. Will you take them out before you go to work and leave them on the counter, leave them in the fridge? What's your defrost policy? Well, I mean, it depends on the thing. Well, let's, say, let's say let's two say two pork chops. Two pork chops. Two, like, you know, say, like, one-inch thick pork chops. Yep. That I'm probably going to take out of the freezer in the morning, toss it in the fridge, and let that hang out for the day, and then finish up thawing it just in a bowl full of warm water, mm. running warm water. Running, and, okay. you know, if it's and, – and that was always a thing growing up. My mom was like, you have to thaw in cold water, otherwise it's not safe. I mean, there have, I think Bittman actually did a good piece on this like, you know, five or six years ago that was like, yeah, the studies show that if it's of a certain, if the meat is of a certain thickness and a certain weight, warm water is fine. Like it's, it'll thaw it, it'll thaw it quickly and you're not like really in the danger zone for that long. So it's like, if it's just, you know, if it's a thin, sometimes if I, if I know that I'm going to cook dinner that night, I will just open the freezer and almost at random, grab something and sling it in the fridge. And then I then it's kind of like creativity with constraints. And that way I'm like, okay, I've got pork chops. Like, what am I doing? What do I feel like? What do I have for, what am I going to have for lunch? Like, how is that going to affect what I want to have for dinner? And then by the time five o'clock rolls around, I'm like, I got the plan. I'm going to go to the, you know, the grocery store right off the train. They're going to have everything that I need to make the salad and to get the ingredients to make the sauce that I want. And then, you know, and then I can come home. And I'm going to talk about, can I talk about two frugal meals for a couple mm-hmm. um, that I like to do with Simone? Um, one of them is omelet night in America. Uh-huh, it's like, uh-huh. let's do omelets for dinner. Like, we've got eggs in there. I'm sure we got some parsley or chives or whatever herbs. There's a hunk of Parmesan somewhere. So you make, you've, you've got the omelets with everything already there. Come home from work. Maybe I buy some potatoes and just cut up some potatoes, like some Yukon Golds for roast potatoes and a head of lettuce. Yeah. And there's dinner. Yeah, and totally. Like, and it's damn good. You know, for me, that's like, you know, short grain white rice, kimchi, eggs. Like if I have those three things, I know that I have that's dinner. I, I would eat and, white and, rice and, with and kimchi I, and fried egg. Exactly. And then I know like, oh, I've got like bonus you know, a can of sardines or like bonus, I've got some leftover steak from the other night or whatever. You know, if I always have those things, I'm never going to come home and be like, oh man, I don't have any food. It's like yeah. you always have something that you like to eat. So if that's canned tuna for you, great. Stock up on canned tuna. Make sure you always have it. If that's like, I don't know. Well, speaking if of that's, or, oh, If that's canned garbanzo beans and you know that you can turn that into a reliable meal that you always love, then I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, repetition. Yeah. As long as it's something that you really like. It's good. I mean, two things on that front. And we're talking about the pantry, which I think is, yeah, imperative. Good canned tomatoes. In a pinch, just make a nice, simple tomato sauce with pasta and whatever else you got. Beans. I think canned beans are mm-hmm. awesome. Do you ever do baked potato night in America? Speaking of you know, cost savings. I, not as often as I would like so to. So good. But so good. Lauren's really obsessed with baked sweet potatoes. So we mm, have. Not the same. Because they're sweet. That's the thing is if you play – I mean this is my thing with sweet potatoes and with squash and with beets. I don't like playing up the sweetness of those things. But if you take a a sweet potato and you bake it and then you open it and you kind of pan sear it. So it's got some nice crispness. And then then you pour some miso butter on it. Yeah, but you know what bothers me? That's good. I'm not going to argue the goodness of that. But I just – what I get annoyed with sweet potatoes is how everyone tells you how good they are for you. Like, oh, just make a sweet potato. They're really, they're, they're really nutritious. I'm like, I don't want, I want a potato. I'm not sure. eating, I don't want to eat them because I want nutrition. I want to eat them because they're delicious. There is, there's a false Stop equivalency Stop lecturing me about they're nutrition. Not, 
sweet potatoes, potatoes, different animals. Sweet potato fries always suck. But they have the same. Oh, yeah, the like, worst, right? No, oh. but I love sweet Soggy. potatoes for other things. Like, I do like a baked sweet potato as a baked sweet potato, but not as a stand-in for a baked potato because a baked potato is one of life's simple gifts. There's also some, I would like to call them maybe boutique items mm-hmm. uh, in your pantry, um, two of which I think you need to have and you should spend the money on them. Uh, one is Malden sea salt or some other good flaky sea salt of your choice for finishing a dish. And another is a really good olive oil also for finishing, not using in big quantities, but for that final touch. So again, I think that this, that speaks to kind of, you know, stocking your pantry so that it works for you. And it's like, if you know that your favorite thing to eat is like, if, if omelets are your kind of go-to weeknight, like what's in the house meal, then yeah, it's like, you're going to want to have really good butter mm. and you're going to want to have really good eggs. If that's not a thing that you really, if, if you don't ever make omelets and you don't really even like eating eggs and they're just a component of other dishes that you're making and well, then, yeah. then maybe it doesn't make sense for you and just purely economically. Well, no, know? but I would argue that I hear where you're coming from and I think you should spend money on what you know you're going to get re- a good return on and you, you know you're going to enjoy, but we you know, in the Rappaport house, the Rappaport Buck house, we consume a lot of eggs. I'm making marlin eggs every morning. I'm having, you know, and so if you're spending however many dollars on a dozen compared to half that amount, that adds up pretty quickly. Same with butter. Americans consume a lot of butter. I do think, like I said, with a, a, a sprinkle of Malden or a little drizzle of good olive oil, that 30-ounce bottle or whatever many ounce bot- olive oil will go a pretty long way. Yeah, no, totally. And I mean, I, I think that, yeah, looking at those pantry items that you really feel like, you know, breathe life into kind of everything they touch. If that, if for you that's olive oil and salt, then then that's that's what it is. If you're a person who loves, you know, for me, I love cooking beans. I love really really delicious dried beans, and so yeah, I'll I'll spend like six or seven bucks on a pound of Rancho Gordo beans, mm. and. And to me, that's like a great pleasure because when I cook them, all I need to do is add plenty of salt and some, I also am an advocate for really good olive oil and having that around. So to me, that could be dinner, you know, just beans beans in their own broth with salt and olive oil. And if you think about it, and if you're like, oh, I I need, I'm going to buy the, you know, $1.50 bag of beans, which is also fine, but it's not going to have be quite as like richly flavored or as fresh as your Rancho Gordo beans. You probably are going to buy some other things to put in them yeah. to kind of they're not the main event, and so you're you're adding on other ingredients and and cost. Um, so you know it's it's. I mean, there's a lot of justification that goes on when you're spending $7 on a pound of beans. But to me, I, I do think that that is worth it. That's worth it for me. So, yeah, Well, exactly. You got like to you create your own pantry for yeah. you. Finally, with the uh, with your cooking for a bunch of roommates and stuff, did you guys do dessert? I mean, I, I'm helpless when it comes to dessert. Lauren's kind of the, the dessert person. Um, so, I mean, we would do dessert, but a lot of times that meant just like walking to the bodega and getting ice cream. And, <laughs> you know, by that part, the point, like the, the like hang had kind of devolved into like watching TV on the projector or like whatever. And then, you know, we're just like passing around a pint of ice cream with spoons yeah. in it. Oh, Mel, thanks for coming on and talking frugality. Adam, thank you very much. 
Marissa A. Ross, welcome to the show. Thank you. Can I can I give you my little 10 cents on this? I would love your 10 cents. Okay. When you're cooking like a recipe from, say, Bon Appetit. Oh. Um, you know, you, you, I, don't, I don't know if I've heard of them. Yeah, yeah. You go to the store and you're like, all right, I'm going to get some asparagus. I know I need asparagus. You grab the asparagus. You need some mushrooms. You need some chicken breast, whatever. You grab that. As soon, and I, I don't even really – it's not that I'm not cost conscious, but I'm like, oh, asparagus, asparagus, chicken breast, or chicken breast. But as soon as I go to the wine store – Kind of the first thing I look at when shopping for a wine is the price. I don't think that that's wrong. I think that I, I think there's a misconception that people should be embarrassed about budget. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think if you're going to a wine shop, your budget should be one of the first things on your mind. Um, yeah, it, it's 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 the deciding factor. I think it's it the really first is. thing you decide. I'm going to spend this much on a bottle of wine. So my question to you, when you think affordable wine, quote unquote, what do you think? For me, affordable wine is anything under thirty. But whoa, wow, well, but that's, but hold on, but hold on. You have to <laughs> you have to realize that my job is writing about wine. I think that most people think of affordable wine under fifteen. Yeah, and I would say if I'm going to delineate a bit, if I'm going to go buy like a white wine or a rosé, I probably think thirteen to fifteen. If I'm going to buy a red, because for whatever reason, maybe I'm wrong. I think reds are often a little bit more expensive. I'm thinking fifteen to eighteen. Um, are well, two questions: Are reds generally priced a little bit more? And B, am I paying for more at a wine store in Manhattan than I would be in, say, suburban Chicago or something? Um. Well, to separating those two things, yes. I. I don't think personally that there's a price like that reds are priced higher. I think that there's a lot of really expensive whites and roses and reds and but the, your second question was um Am I paying a bit more for wine at a wine store in so Manhattan? It, what's interesting about that is that the wines here in New York are going to be a bit cheaper if they're imports. So for example, huh. I was shopping at Aster uh wines this week and those wines were a lot cheaper than I can get them in California because you're paying a lot less for well, the understand. shipping from really? from New York. Well, think about it. Like, think about how much it costs you as a New Yorker to fly to Europe or mm-hmm. to fly to California. It's the same cost, right? So most New Yorkers. If you say are, so, okay. No, but I mean, in terms of like yes. the flights. So like, you're saying that you're saying it costs more to get that bottle of wine from Burgundy more. to yes. LA. Oh, but that's why I think the California wines are probably a little bit more expensive here than they are. In California. Home. Okay, so it depends. But then again, sense. I'm not really buying California wines when I'm in New York because I can just drink those all day yes, long at home. for free. Um, but, <laughs> I right, wish. So, okay, so that makes sense. So even though real estate and stuff, rent costs might be more in New York City, the fact that we're closer to Europe and the import costs are, are cheaper. I think so. Balance, I, I, don't know if, I don't know if I'm like the authority on yes. uh, the financials of uh, wine, but that is from my experience. Like today, well, like at Aster, for example, I had a Cinso from um, Jean-Marie Rimbert, who's from the Languedoc, which I was just in. I just visited him. You can't get that wine in California, and it was $12 here, like full natural wine. And to me, that's incredible that you can get a beautiful natural French wine for $12. Yeah. Well, that's fascinating. Wow, there's so much. That's what I always have a – it challenges me to talk about wine because there are so many nuances and inconsistencies and like – There's no right – there's no one answer in No, and and, and you can say this is a great bottle, but certain places you can't get that bottle or maybe you find it and then it's out of stock and it's it's not like there are certain things that are always available. No, and you also don't want the – I mean, this is my personal stance on it. You don't want the things that are always available because to me that's like a GMO tomato. Hmm, Like, you know, if it's it's always there and if it's at every bodega – you know, that like one banana, do you, all year round, like 
you're like, there's no way that there's fresh. Like if you think about wine, like you think about food, you know, it, it should be similar. I, th- I think at least let's, let's talk about some tips and, and you've got some good ones here. Uh, I love this first tip. Um, focus on varietals, you know, and love. Yeah. So, uh, I think that if you were in a wine shop or if you're in California, California, or if you're in like the middle of nowhere and you're stuck going to a grocery store or like a gas station, heaven forbid, um, you want to find wines or you want to find varietals that you already know and love. Like if you're going to be buying something blindly, definitely try to go for something that you already have a palate for. So if I know, like, listen, I know my wife and I, like, we like Pinot Noir. So I yeah. say, all right, I can say, all right, I'll look for the Pinot Noirs. What do they have for under 20 bucks? Yeah, Start I think there. that that I think that that's fair. If you're somewhere where you don't know, mm-hmm. personally, I'm all about getting people to drink outside of the box. Pinot Grigio, I know I'm going to like it. Basically, yeah, yeah. If you're somewhere where you don't know the wines, definitely go for something you know you already like because it's way better to put your money on something that's like a safer bet than like gambling on some random blend that you've never heard of and then you're taking it home and you're like, what the hell is this? Um, this one, and I was talking to Emma, our producer, about this earlier. It says, look at the ABV, the alcohol by volume. And what does that tell you yeah. about a wine if you don't know much about the wine or the label? So uh, the higher the alcohol content on a wine, um, there's generally, like, more sugar. It's like a riper grape. Um, it's usually from, like, a warmer climate. And so the the higher the alcohol content, it's just going to be, like, a bigger wine. So if you don't like big, like, huge— I don't. Yeah, I know you don't. You don't like big reds. No. <laughs> <laughs> Which just makes me think of the gum. Like I just think about like Rappo, like big red, get out of here. Um, so if you don't like really big, robust wines, you're going to want to stay with a lower alcohol volume. You're going to want to look for anything below 14, even 13 percent um, below that. Because once you start getting above 14, that's when you're getting into things that taste like those big Zinfandels. Like yeah. that's like the thing that you should think about. Those really big, jammy, kind of overpowering, and then they just sort of taste like alcohol. Yeah. And Is it fair to say our bigger Higher alcohol wines, do they typically need more time to age? Maybe? I, no? I think it depends. Mm-hmm. I think it depends on the on the varietal, mm-hmm. honestly. Okay. Um, well, let's – all right. So so the alcohol by volume, that, that's good. Like I know it. I like lighter wines, so then look for a lower alcohol. Yeah, exactly. Content. Like 11.5 I think is like a great okay, thing to cool. look for if you like lighter wines. Or if you're looking for something that you can drink. For example, right now it's like 5 o'clock and I brought in a wine. Um that's like a 12% alcohol wine. You can be drinking- A red. It's and, a, and it's and a what's red. the grape? Um, it's a Pinot Noir, actually. Okay, there you uh, go. From Burgundy. But it's, you know, it's it's 12%, so you can kind of drink it. It's not too heavy. You're not going to get sleepy from it. And it's- <laughs> gl- Yeah. Well, that's a thing, you know? If you're drinking like 16% alcohol wines, you're going to get sleepy or, or yeah. be drunk by eight, and that sucks. No, you can't have that. For I think the 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 task at hand that we're talking about, which I think is like if you're stuck in a grocery store and you're looking for something to buy and you have no idea what you're doing, and it's not your wine store because if you're if you're at your wine shop, like your wine shop, you can talk to someone. You can't really talk to someone at a bodega. No. You're going to want to stick with regions that are recognizable, preferably have like AOC uh, certification, which is not something I care about as much in my in my personal drinking because I drink a lot of nat- mostly natural wines and they kind of do things outside the box. But AOC certification when you're in a grocery store is important because you at least know that it's going to taste kind of by the book, which is great um, when you're just taking a guess. Can you give like three regional varietal sort of descriptions of wines that you, in terms of red wine you could buy? So if I'm at a grocery store, I would one, do a Beaujolais because I just love Gamay. It's my favorite grape. And even if it's 
really bad, I'm probably still going to like it, especially if I put it in the fridge. Two, I think that Marlboro um, Sauvignon Blancs are a great bet. From New Zealand. From New Zealand. Um, if you like white wine, they always have nice acidity. They they have a nice grassy quality. I think that they go well with most chicken and fish and all that jazz. So I think that those are also fairly safe bets. And if you like your wines more acidic, more tart, you're going to want a colder climate wine. Yeah. So that's what you're going to want to go for. And if you like your wines bigger and jammier, you want to go for a warm climate. So I think even that might be better to think about than just like general regions I mean, no, I think that makes sense. If you look at Italy, you know, for instance, wines from Sicily, a white wine from Sicily is going to be a lot fruitier and uh, sort of assertive, not assertive, but you know, have more, more rounded than a wine from the northern regions. You, you know, think so? so? Because I think that Sicil- Sicilian whites are like very like volcanic and like oceanic. No, I don't think so. I think like the, uh, I think the, well, compared to like an Alto Aldige white that's going to be really crisp and lean and acidic, uh, I think the, the Sicilian whites that are in the sun. Uh, the the fruit is is, is going to be fruitier. I can see the volcanic thing, obviously. Yeah, I guess I'm thinking about like Sardinia and like that. Okay, no, area. no, I'm talking about Sicily. I know. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know, but it's like the wines wines in the south and the hotter regions are going to be fruitier. Yeah, right? they're going to be fruitier. Yeah. So I mean, if you here's like for example, if you like Chardonnay, and you're at the grocery store. What kind of Chardonnay do you want? Do you want it like? crisper and lighter like go Sonoma you could get a I, I think that the Sonoma um Chardonnays are usually leaner than like Napa Chardonnays and why is that is... because Napa is so much hotter see I didn't know that that's yeah Napa because Sonoma the Sonoma coast like keeps all the the coastal marine layer okay that thing that we have in California yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard it about keeps that. that yeah we got it um that keeps the grapes a lot cooler rather than in Napa which is in the valley and the grapes get a lot uh, warm, I've been there. Um, well, that's fascinating. Yeah. Oh, that's good to know. Okay, so yeah. all right. So hotter regions uh, lead to a sort of fruitier yes. wine. Uh, yeah. On the if it's a white wine, the warmer the region, you're getting more tropical notes like the passion fruit, uh, the yes. pineapple, peach, peach, all of that good stuff. The stone fruits. Mm. Um, and if it's a red and from a warmer climate, you're going. You know, you're you're getting a lot of jam. Just yeah. big, big jam guys. Okay. Whereas cooler climates. With the whites and reds, they're just going to be more acidic uh, with more tartness. And uh, they're a bit leaner, I think a little bit more drier, personally. So. Yeah. And I think that's good advice. So, yeah, be mindful of the alcohol by volume. Um, yeah, be mindful of the alcohol by volume and also just look at the region. Yeah. Because also, too, like for Pinot Noir example, a Pinot Noir from, um, you know, Paso Robles is going to be a lot more robust than a Pinot Noir from Oregon, in my, in my experience. I'm sure that there's... That's the hard thing about. <laughs> there's always gonna be someone that's like, "That is not right." I've had Paso Robles <laughs> Pinot Noirs that are very, very lean, and I know that they're out there. But if you are stuck in a, you know, in a random grocery store, you know, an Oregon Pinot Noir is a lot cooler than a Paso Robles Pinot Noir. Oh, spe- speaking of cooler, mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna imagine that the wines in that grocery store are probably not held at the proper temperature. So when you get home, no. maybe you want to cool that cheap red wine down in the fridge for a little bit. Yeah, you're probably gonna want to cool it down a lot. I mean, cheap wine should just be like put in the freezer. <laughs> they e- they go down easier when they're yeah. a little bit cooler. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's why like that's why so many people love really cold, like cheap Pinot Grigio. It's like when it's so cold you can't really taste what it actually tastes like. <laughs> so so yeah. what it now just like get it really cold. Just get, yeah, get the yeah. whites really cold and get the, the reds, wines and no. the wines and the reds cool. No, get those real cold too. No, I don't. No, but yeah, I, but it's true. I get them. You want to yes. put them in the fridge for twenty minutes. Absolutely. Well, most people serve their red wines too warm, anyways. Regardless, regardless, but it's definitely the cheap ones. Yeah, definitely the cheap ones. You want to put it in the fridge, one hundred percent. 
Okay, I, I can remember all this. I, I listen. You you taught me something about the alcohol by volume. I'm definitely going to look for that because I never I never look at that. It's otherwise, such an important, people don't think about alcohol know, by volume. I, yeah, I know I don't like big hot, rich sort of alcoholic no. red wines. So I'm going to look at that, and it makes you sleepy. Yeah, I don't and want does, that. and it makes you snore probably. Oh my god, <laughs> don't even get me started. Cooler regions lead to leaner wines. Yep, more less, acidity. Le, yeah, more acidity. Higher alcohol is obviously higher alcohol, bigger, and it's yep. bolder flavored. And then, yeah, the, and buy what you love. If you know you like Sancerre and Sauvignon Blanc, then just buy a Sancerre. Absolutely. Or Sauvignon Blanc. Probably not Sancerre because that's not a cheap wine, but a Sauvignon Blanc is Sancerre, correct? Uh, yes, yes. Yes. But Sauvignon, but Sancerre is like specific to the Loire. Exactly. But but, yeah. but, it, but exactly. But if you know you like Sancerre and they don't have Sancerre, then go look for a Sauvignon Blanc Sauvignon, from New Zealand. Yeah, but so, th- those taste so different. What does? Sancerre versus a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. But at least they're they're but at least siblings. They're, they're comparable. They're yes, comparable. they're comparable. I guess. You said grassy. You said you know that's the same thing. It's hard for me. This is a, this is a very. I know, hard but for us average schmoes who just you're like, not average I know, schmoes. I'm though. an average schmo. I know like, I I can deal with a Sauvignon Blanc. I'd rather have that than a Chardonnay. So I'm going to buy it. If they have a Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand instead of a fancy pants so Sancerre that I would normally like to drink, I'm like I'm cool with that. I can I can roll with the New yeah. Zealand. Yeah. I think what's always important, whether you are buying wine in a wine shop or you are buying wine in a grocery store or you're buying wine in a gas station or a bodega or wherever you're buying the wine, it's always most important to just get something that you think you're going to enjoy because that's the most important part about wine. And also, too, as much as I am a proponent of natural wines and I have that whole thing going for me um, because that's what I enjoy the most, wine is so much more than just drinking it. If you're drinking with the right people, it's still going to be a good time. And that's what really counts. If you're drinking something that's fun and you're with good people and there's good conversation and, and you're good enjoying food. the meal and good food, yeah, then it doesn't really matter because I've had some really, really terrible wines, but it was with my best friends when I'm camping. Exactly. And like, and I've, and also, then, I've also had some really expensive wines that I didn't like that much. Well, yeah, because And I'm they, like, this wine's fine. Not, because, it's, exactly. It's way, I'm like, how much did this cost? Not worth it. So, yeah. Price is not indicative of quality. You know what? If it's the right temperature, if the music's good, if it's if really the, cold, if the, if the lighting is right and the food is good, like yeah, the wine is like now one, we're just talking about love. Yeah, but the wine's like one fifth of the equation, <laughs> and like I said, it it, it'll be okay. Don't oversweat it. So don't buy, overthink it. Buy what you love. Look at the alcohol by volume. Gonna, Look at the climate. You're gonna do okay, kid. You're gonna be fine. All right. Just drink wine and just enjoy yourself. Marissa A. Ross, thank you very much. Thank you. The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Emma Wurtzman and Carrie Polis and edited by Mitra Kaboli. Our theme music is by Valerie and the Grady's, with additional music by Nathaniel Wurtzman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.